just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Ladies and gentlemen, what is up? Coming to you from the Costa Nostra studios, I'm Matty Buller, and thank you for tuning in to Almost Wise Guys episode 22. This is our look at the 2018 Winter Olympics, and this episode is so awesome, it may just reunite the Koreas. In just a moment, we'll get down to the news of the week, but first, with me as always from Almost Wise Guys Central, it's Andy, the prognosticator, Atridge. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing quite well, thank you. It's great to be back for another episode. You know, you've always got that February letdown once the Super Bowl is over. Speaking of which, what a game. Congrats to the Eagles for their first Lombardi trophy. Congrats to their fans for, you know, having the total number of arrests for disorderly conduct stay under the four-digit mark. Well, I'll be forthright and honest. Even though we did pick the Eagles, I didn't see the game unfolding that way. Who would have thought... There'd be as many sacks in the game as Nick Foles' touchdown receptions. Weird. Also, who would have thought an Eagle fan would be so happy he'd eat horse shit on Broad Street? That last one wasn't that surprising. But yeah, again, who would have thought? Who would have thought as many non-quarterbacks throwing a pass as there were punts? Yeah, I think there was more screen time of the Eagles' assistant equipment manager than there were of both punters. It is also worth noting that since our very first episode in week one, the profile photo of the episode on the podcast has featured an image of a Philadelphia Eagle shown on a screen in a sports book. We are in the process of lining up sponsors for next year. Perhaps the Cleveland Browns want some of our juju, our mojo, our ability to not only prognosticate, but deliver the results. So seriously, on the open market, what do you think that'd be worth? One hundred dollars. Maddie, we should probably explain the nature of this episode. We went into a slight depression after the NFL season and ended in Minnesota. We? Well, you know, me and all my little personalities. When I brought up the idea of doing the Olympics, Maddie admitted that, but for a couple of sports, he doesn't too much care for them. Yeah, man, I've always hated the Olympics. However, now that you've let me know I can gamble on them, <laughs> I'm starting to come around. I really look forward to them, especially the winter ones where our Canadian teams usually have a good outing. Uh, We will be discussing hockey, of course, curling, snowboarding, and figure skating. In fact, we will be joined by industry insider Bert Cording, a figure skater instructor based in the mecca of that sport, Nashville, Tennessee. Let's start with the news of the week. Jamaica will once again make an appearance at the Winter Games. This year, they'll feature two athletes in the women's bobsled and one in men's skeleton. Feel the rhythm. Feel the ride. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool Norway's Olympic team meant to order 1,500 eggs. Because of a translation error, they ended up getting 15,000. The chefs put in an order with a local supermarket using Google Translate but they clearly made an error somewhere when ordering an extra 13,500 eggs than they needed. Maybe they were thinking like the Jamaicans, hoping they could be lucky eggs. You want to kiss my egg? 
I'm not kissing no egg. Former Olympic diving gold medalist Greg Luganis said that given the invitation to visit the White House, which all U.S. Olympians received, that he would turn it down. A swimmer and politics go together like a head meeting a diving board, and you'd know all about that now, wouldn't you, Greg? The opening ceremonies have now taken place, and most notably, North Korea and South Korea entered the games together. There was a monumental handshake between South Korean President Moon Jae-in and Kim Yo-jong, the sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Yeah, a rather touching moment. It really set a friendly and conciliatory tone to kick off the games. Ironically, Mike Pence was sitting just a few seats away. It was reported that the handshake made him quite uncomfortable. Not because of the nations involved, but the whole skin-touching-skin thing was a bit racy for him. Well, maybe they'll wear gloves next time. Speaking of gloves, it was reported that there were approximately 110,000 love gloves, a.k.a. condoms, handed out to the athletes before the games began. Is that a lot? Well, uh, let's do the math. There are just under 3,000 competing athletes, 2,952 to be exact. The games are 16 days long, so 110,000 divided by carry the two, and we have... Or otherwise known as a Tuesday night over at Ron Jeremy's crib. Just days before the games, 32 athletes from Russia made a last-ditch appeal to the IOC to overturn their ban due to PED use. Yeah, when interviewed by the media, a spokesperson for the athletes said that they don't know what the IOC was talking about. They didn't take any stereos. Before we get into our actual Olympic selections, let's consider for a second that we are not indeed gambling degenerates who are going through a post-Super Bowl pre-March Madness withdrawal symptoms. Every four years, Winter Olympic athletes get together in the spirit of competition, togetherness, and in a celebration of friendship. During the lead-up to ancient games with the Greeks and shortly after the ruling Romans, an Olympic truce was enacted so that athletes could travel from their cities to the games in safety. The prizes for the victors were wreaths and crowns. The games became a political tool used by city-states to assert dominance over their rivals. Politicians would announce alliances at the games, and in times of war, priests would offer sacrifices to the gods for victory. The statue of Zeus at Olympia was counted as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Sculptors and poets would congregate each Olympiad to display their works of art to would-be patrons. In this podcast, we will honor the long-held traditions of the ancient, who used friendly wagering as an act of camaraderie that strengthened bonds between men, armies, and nations. It created another layer of competition that defined cultures and empires. This Almost Wise Guys podcast shall serve to you as a direct link to the very roots of our society two millennia ago. In fact, it should be considered treasonous not to throw some money down on the four by seven and a half kilometer relay biathlon. Somebody said treasonous. I mean, yeah, I guess why not? Can we call that treason? Why not? So please, lift up your hearts, suspend your animosities, and let our brethren gather, wager, and be victorious. Maddie, let's fire it up with our Olympic picks. 
All right, we begin with hockey. What is uh, slashing? Slashing is um, like that. You know? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a penalty for that? Yeah. Uh, and for a trip also, you know, oh. like that. And mm-hmm. for hook, like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, for spear, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. All bad. Bad. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, two minutes by yourself, and you feel shame, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get free. Right now, the OAR are the clear favorites at even money, with Canada and Sweden next, both at four and a half to one. The OAR, or Olympic athletes from Russia, doesn't really have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. Um, In descending order, the rest are Finland, Czech Republic, USA, Switzerland, Germany, Slovakia, Norway is at 100 to 1, Slovenia is at 400 to 1, and the host country of South Korea sits at a very lucrative 500 to 1. Now, obviously, this is going to be a five or six horse race. Trust me, Herb Brooks ain't coming out of the woodwork to help South Korea get a home win. But, Andy, before we go there, this is one area of the Olympics where I kind of know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. A, I played hockey at a pretty high level back in my day, but I also married a Swiss girl. And one thing I've seen when I'm watching Swiss hockey is they may not have the best pro league there, but those Swiss kids, they play together from the time they're like knee-high to a grasshopper. And they always show up pretty well in international play. Uh, They've done well in the World Juniors recently. They've done well in the World Cup of hockey. So I would say keep an eye on Switzerland to medal. Well, that's a good point, especially when you're talking about the longevity of them playing together. Uh, let's look at Team Canada, for instance. Of and course, way, we're not. I'm hmm? still, I'm still a Canada guy. Oh yeah, yeah, Canadian, but you know, but you know, we're trying to be wrong with having a look, you know, objectively with the monies. We are trying to be impartial. But yes, we should look at Team Canada. Well, we're not going to be seeing Sidney Crosby. We're not going to be seeing Connor McDavid or Carey Price, as we know the NHL will not allow its players to participate. Thanks, Gary Bettman. But that being said, all but two players have played in the NHL. In fact. They collectively have 5,544 games of NHL experience on the roster. And speaking of experience, the average age is 31. On that Olympic ice surface, it's a lot bigger. Wouldn't younger legs be more advantageous? Well, there's almost two dozen guys on, the, on Team Canada that currently play on European hockey teams, including 13 in the KHL and I think seven or eight in the German League. And they're, big used, they're used to big ice surfaces. As it relates to individual games, don't be too afraid to take puck lines that are two and a half or even three and a half points needed to cover the favorite in winning. I say this because the way the round robins are structured, there is merit in scoring as many goals as possible for purposes of potential tiebreakers. My point is the teams won't let up in the third period, even with a big lead. And I think with you know the average age being 31, dude, they better have like a, a sponsorship with Ben Gay or something like that. I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Actually, about I, uh, diabetes and uh, uh, you know uh, diabetes. All right, let's move to women's hockey. There's really only two viable contenders in this division: the USA at minus 118 and Canada at plus 110. 
you're not going to get a lot of value on these two either. But keep in mind, Team Canada has won it the last four gold medals in this event. Yeah, in Canada's first game against the Russian women, you would have had to lay $167 to win 100 and cover four and a half goals. Really not worth it. Uh, I say that the results just came in and actually won five to nothing, but four and a half goals is uh, a lot to lay on a puck line. In looking, though, at the results from Sochi four years ago, there seems to be a lot of value on the unders. A lot of those games were really low scoring. Um, even in this Olympics, I've seen totals as low as three and a half. Don't fall for that one. But unless Russia's planning, um, anything under six and a half is good. We are now joined by Bert Cording, who, as Maddie mentioned, is a very accomplished figure skater. He has no less than 22 regional, sectional, national, and international medals in singles and pairs and has qualified for the U.S. Figure Skating Championship 11 times in novice, junior, and senior events. He has performed with 34 Olympic medalists in 32 different countries, and he even did a stint with Disney for their 100 Years of Magic production show. Most importantly, not only is he a football fan, but a huge fan of the Almost Wise Guys podcast. Welcome, Bert. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Yeah, no problem. So, um, Nashville, Tennessee, and figure skating—not exactly what uh, what meatballs are to spaghetti. How did that happen? Uh, the, the magic of refrigeration—it's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, my grandma was from Peoria, Illinois, mm-hmm. and moved down to Nashville. And my, her daughter, my aunt, and my mom both skated, and my aunt was one of Nashville's first skating coaches, as well as my babysitter, so I didn't have much choice. And the rest is history. That's it. Cool. Now, um, you're also a big uh, Tennessee Titans fan. Um, We were rather hot on them at the beginning of the season. They got their one playoff win against Kansas City. how, How would you rate their season overall? He's a New England Patriot, of course he does. Yeah, we're trying the we're trying the Patriots way down here. We'll see what happens. Now you've been a Titans fan for a long time. In fact, you were at the game during the Music City Miracle. Yeah, since they moved here. So um, well, in nineteen ninety seven. So what was the Music City Miracle like? Uh, that was unbelievable. Uh, we had sixteen seconds on the clock, two timeouts. That's the only reason I didn't leave my seat. Uh, a lot of people were leaving. Uh, well, not a lot of people. I would say about 20% were leaving. Um, 16 seconds, Lorenzo Neal make a squib kick. And I was just like, oh, that's, you know, we need a playmaker. <laughs> not Lorenzo Neal, fullback. So he handed it to... Um, Wycheck and Wycheck starts standing directly towards me at the 40-yard line. And then he just jumps and throws the ball. It looked like it was going to go out of bounds. 
Kevin Dyson was there, and he ran the ball 75 yards. Yeah, well, I live not too close to Buffalo, and they're still talking about that one. Yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> um, well, let's get along to the Olympics. Uh, let's start with the men's program. Uh, obviously, we're looking at things from a betting perspective, but uh, what's what are your initial uh, thoughts on, on the event to begin with? Uh, it should be, should be a very good event. Uh, there's best field that there's ever been at the Olympics. Most talented, most athletic. Um, you know, Nathan Chen is my favorite. Um, he is the best skater to ever lace up skates. You think so? Uh, yes, for sure. And at plus 250, I'll take the best skater to ever skate. Wow, very good. Um, so yes, he's actually not the first or second, but the third favorite. So you like him over, um, two Japanese skaters, I guess, correct? Two Japanese skaters, that's right. Um, you know, Han Yu, you know what you're getting. Um, he doesn't have all five quads. Nathan Chen has all five quads. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You gotta do it on game day. Yeah, and uh, what about the same event with the women? Taking a look at the women here. Medvedeva is Medvedeva is the favorite uh, to our listeners at minus one twenty, and then it goes up from there quite a bit. In fact, yeah, she's going to be tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Medvedeva is going to be really tough to beat. She's. Um, it, it just seems like it's her time. She's got no flaws, no cracks in her skating. It's basically up to her uh, to make a mistake and and let the other ones in. Uh, Zagatova, the, the other Russian, um, obviously the odds show that she's the second favorite, and she should be. Mm-hmm. There's real no dark horses that I like here, so it's, it's really between those two. Okay, and then if we took a look at Paris figure skating. Hang on, I got a call. Edit. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, let's start that one over. All right, let's take a look at the. Over. Let's take a look at the Paris figure skating. Who do you like in that one? Oh, okay. Um, they are super consistent. Um, she fell on the throw in the uh, team event, and I toured with her for a couple of years uh, when she was skating with a different partner. Um, and she never missed. She's—I've never seen her miss a throw in practice, in the shows, in competition, whatever. Um, so I don't really consider that to be part of a new normal uh, thing. Um, they're going to be um, the most consistent with obviously the Chinese team um, as the favorites. Yes. The, um, but the, I really like Alona and Bruno. <clears throat> so they're at plus 140, not bad value for uh, for what you're saying. 
not bad. I would like, I, I would personally like it, you know, to have them at plus 175. Um, um, so the value really isn't there. Um, but, you know, when, when they win, then you win. So, right. And now, I'm a little, I'm a little partial in this one, and that is of the ice dance. Um, what are your thoughts on that? First off, well, um, Baba Dickus and Cizeron are, 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 you know, kind of heavy favorites. Um, but I, I like Scott and Tess. They've already won before. Mm-hmm. And they could very well win again. They looked unbelievable the other night in the team event, and um, and I, I really look forward to it. Personally, they're my favorite looking skaters in the in the whole Olympics. So, well, I'm partial to them. Only in the fact that they they trained in my my hometown, which you know that about. Uh, but I did see Absolutely. them a, saw them a couple times on the weekend perform, and it was you know again from uh, a pedestrian mindset. I thought they were incredible, but you've got the expert eye, and if uh, if you agree with me, well, hey, great. I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing them on the on the gold medal stand. Well, so, you're exactly right. They are incredible, and. Um, as you know, my wife Megan is from the Waterloo area. Yes. Herself and uh, grew up skating with uh, Scott, so um, from the same club. So um, you know. Well, there's. Can't go wrong with those two. Yeah, well, there's a lot of excitement around here uh, for that reason, and uh, deservedly so because they they're just they're playing lights out. That's great. So we've got, uh, you've, you've made picks for men's, women's, pairs, and ice dance. If any of those four events, are there any dark horses that stand out to you? If, uh, you know, if someone does fall or something else unfortunate happens, who do you see? Uh, really good dark horse um, in the men is Javi Fernandez. Mm-hmm. He's, al- he's already been world champion, and so you're getting, you're getting pedigree there for, for plus 500. Yeah, five to one, not bad for a guy that's sort of the reigning champion, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, I'll get you on the phone, and we're talking about skating in the Olympics. Have you seen the movie I, Tanya yet? I have not. Oh. I have not seen that. Um, surprising. I thought you would have been first in line. Well, I kind of lived it. What do you I mean by that? I was in the building when uh, Tanya was attacked, uh, sorry, Nancy was attacked by uh, Shane Stant, one of uh, Tanya's goons. You, you uh, were in the building at the time? I was in the building getting ready for the practice. Uh, I was there in two events in novice. I was there novice men and novice pairs. So I was at the rink all the time. And um, I, I believe I had a pairs practice. Um, about an hour after that, I had the flu then, kind of like now, and um, which is why I sound like this. And um, I would just get to the building really early and warm up, get things moving. And um, at first, I thought she fell. I didn't see any attacker. Neither did anybody else, really. Um, so it wasn't until I watched CNN later that day and learned she was attacked. Yeah, it was uh, It was one of the oddest stories in sports I think I've ever heard, to be quite honest with you. 
unbelievable because um, I got there on the Saturday before that. That happened on Tuesday. And there was no security. You could go through any building, you know, as a fan. You could go down to the dressing room and nobody said a word. And that, that certainly all changed in, in that moment. Yeah, no joke, man. Well, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie at some point, but I guess we have actual Olympics to watch uh, in the next couple of weeks. Thanks so much for being on the show, uh, talking about skating. Perhaps we'll get you on next season when the Titans hopefully make the playoffs again for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll hold my breath. <laughs> Before I let you out of here, i got to ask you this question. Music City Miracle, was that a forward pass? That was a half-yard backward pass. Backward. Oh, an honest Titans fan. I wow. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. No, but seriously. Yeah, no, no. I'll take your word. I'll take your word. Well, I, again, very much appreciate you being on the show and sharing your insights. And uh, hopefully, I'll talk to you sooner than later. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Andrew. All right. Cheers, man. Now we go to snowboarding, and how can we discuss snowboarding without mentioning the very first gold medal winner in 98? That would be Ross Rebligati from Vancouver. In case you don't recall, said gold medal was originally revoked because he tested positive for THC in a blood test. Hey, man. Am I driving okay? I think we're parked, man. How is weed considered a performance-enhancing drug? You're flying down a mountain at about 40 miles an hour, strapped to a piece of fiberglass. I mean, if you can do that faster than everyone else while you're stoned, you should receive a platinum medal. We should also mention that the ruling was overturned and Ross did get to keep his medal. And subsequently, the World Anti-Doping Agency amended its rules on cannabis, raising the threshold for a positive test by a multiple of 10. In men's half-pipe competition, it should be no surprise that Sean White is the favorite. Keep in mind that he's coming off two injuries from last season and even had to withdraw from the Winter Games in New Zealand in 2017. Also, let's recall that he finished fourth in Sochi four years ago. He's 31 years old, which in snowboarding terms makes him a goddamn dinosaur. As betting odds go, the next two favored snowboarders are Ayumu Hirano and Yutu Tatsuka, both from Japan, and both are 19 and 16 years old respectively. Scotty James from Australia and Ben Ferguson from the U.S. are also contenders at plus 450 and plus 650. Scotty James, the Aussie sensation, is the defending world champion and finished second at this year's Aspen Superpint with a score of 98 after claiming gold in that same event last season. A similar performance in Pyeongchang could put James on the top of the podium. In the women's halfpipe, Chloe Kim, the 17-year-old from California, is the clear favorite at plus 150. That would be Clark, Mastro, both from the U.S., uh, Castellet from Spain, and Lou from China. Yeah, since the scoring here is going to be very close, my strategy would not to be going with the favorite. I do like Maddie Mastro in this one. She's been killing it in 2018, hitting three podiums at her first four events of the year. At plus 500, this is a high-value bet. 42 pounds of polished granite, the beveled underbelly, and a handle a human being can hold. And it may have no 
practical purpose in and of itself, but it is a repository of human possibility, and if it's handled just right, it will exact a kind of poetry. Curling, unlike hockey, points don't matter. It's considered a gentleman's game, whereby not only do you not run up the score, but some games will end without even playing the full match if one team is clearly ahead. This happened in the round robin in the mixed doubles when Canada was up 6-2 to two at the conclusion of seven ends. Switzerland elected not to even play the eighth end, believing that they had no chance in coming back. In fact, they even burned their last rock in the seventh end, trying to avoid a disastrous shot that would have put Canada up by even more. With only 10 teams competing, this is going to be a lot easier to follow the results compared to other sports. In men's, Canada is clearly the favorite at minus 125, followed by Sweden at 2-1. to one. Norway, Switzerland, Great Britain, and the U.S. follow from 14-1 to 1 to 20-1, to 1 respectively. South Korea, the home team, Denmark, and Japan, and Italy are the biggest underdogs, ranging from 25-1 to 1 to 40-1. to 1. The women's team is favored at minus 125, with the next team, Sweden, sitting at plus 450. They missed the gold medal in the last Olympics, coming down to the last rock in the end. Heartbreaking for sure, but a lot of things would have to go wrong for that to happen again. You can take either of Canada's teams to win outright between the men's and the women's, but the odds are less than even. It's highly unlikely that a team that isn't Swedish or Canada will win. The U.S. has only one medal in the sport, which is a bronze back in 2006 from Turin. The IOC has added an exciting twist to the sport that is over five centuries old. 500 years is a long time. Yes, there was a pond drained in Dublin, Scotland, in which they found what appeared to be a curling stone with the year 1511 inscribed on the bottom. I heard the initials GB were inscribed next to that, which stood for Gary Bettman. He was commissioner of the curling league even back then? He kept trying to grow the sport by expanding it to countries like Mexico, Cuba, and Australia. I'm looking forward to this format whereby two curlers shoot just five stones each end. It has a very fast pace and sort of has a hockey shootout sort of feel and tempo to it. Canada is by far the favorite at plus 125, with Sweden coming in next at 5-1. to one. Well, If it's a shootout feel, it's a good thing the Leafs aren't in the Olympics. Uh, each team has one male and female curler. Canada's team features curler John Morris, who graduated from Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, the alma mater of yours truly, and also Andy the Prognosticator. Go Hawks, go. Yeah, go Hawks, go. He's a little younger than me, so we didn't attend at the same time. But I've watched him really closely uh, since the last Winter Olympics in Sochi. And honestly, I've never seen anyone be able to throw a rock so hard with such accuracy. And that type of play is going to really lend itself well to this format. Yeah, that being said, this is the first experiment with this format ever in the Olympics. How sharp are these odds going to be? That's a great point. Probably not very. Already, the U.S. has upset Russia 9-3, to and Norway actually beat Canada 9-6. to There could be some value in taking an underdog like the Olympic athletes from Russia, the U.S., or even Norway at 9-1. to Canada is probably your best bet, though. Yeah, eh? Good day. Welcome to Canadian Corner to Great White North, and look at this. I'm Bob McKenzie, and this is my brother Doug, and uh, this is Doug's new beer bottle. Look. Oh, take off, eh? It's got a baby bottle. Although it's not bad, eh? It's like a condensed version of a Saturday night. You have a little beer and a little of this. 
Well, let's quickly run through our picks again in men's hockey. Both Canada and Sweden at four and a half to one offer the best value, even though Russian athletes are clearly the favorite. Uh, women's hockey is a toss-up of the U.S. and Canada, but look for some good value on the unders for individual games. And in snowboarding, we do like Scotty James in the men's halfpipe and Maddie Mastro in the same event for the women. In curling, unless you want to roll the dice with the Swedes, there is no reason to pick any other team than Canada for men's, women's, and mixed doubles. Thank you to all our fans for listening to episode 22 of Almost Wise Guys. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit the subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss a show. You can also hit us up on our Facebook fan page for additional content and picks. Thanks again to Burt Cording for his insights about the figure skating events at this winter's Olympic Games. From the Costa Nostra Studios, for Andy the Prognosticator Attridge, back at Almost Wise Guys Central, I'm Matty Buller. Get out and pick yourself a winner. If you liked our podcast, please share it with a friend. If you hated our podcast, please share it with two enemies. Tune in sometime. We'll let you know when on the same bet channel. Sayonara. You walk away, I can hear the words you say in the